0: Hey, everybody, before we get started, what you're hearing is a band. The band is called Floral Mass, and it happens to be my band. When you have a band and you have a podcast, you get to cross-promote. That's the rules. I would like everybody to check it out, though. I'm really proud of this music. Available on Spotify, iTunes, all the places that you get your rock and roll tracks. And, uh, yeah, I play the drums. This is Craig, by the way, from Yes Have Some, but you knew that because you're listening. So if you want to hear some good tunes check out floral mass on spotify and itunes we're dropping a new song sometime in the next month there's only two songs up there right now but it's a fun little side project when i'm not talking about ghostbusters toy collecting and buying things on ebay i am playing the drums all right on to the show
1: some podcast do i
0: yes have some yes have some
1: you know they told me you people were conceited douchebags
0: the only place in the multiverse where you can love the book
1: hate the movie but still buy all the toys i'm afraid you're
0: just too on loud i'm not looking for a friend i'm looking for a jedi master a what
1: please remember to hold on to your butts and get ready to get stressed with your hosts craig goldberg Abigail Gardner
0: and Jacob Walsh. Hey everybody, welcome to the Us House Some Podcast and another edition of the bonus interview episodes um you've probably noticed that i've been doing some one-off interviews i had pixel dan last week and tonight i'm going to be talking to jeremy padauer now we did release this interview on our youtube channel but we wanted to make sure to get it on the feed as well uh in case you're not on our youtube channel or haven't had a chance to watch it or want to listen to this in your car and more than anything we just want to give you guys as much content as possible so like I said, coming up, Jeremy Padower. Jeremy's an interesting guy. He is the—he's uh, a co-partner at Jazzwares, which is a toy company. They are about to do all of the AEW wrestling action figures. It's the first debut line for AEW, which is really cool. Uh, but Jeremy's got a long history in the toy industry. He started at Mattel. He was a brand manager in the late 90s, worked on Hot Wheels and Masters of the Universe. And then he really made his name when he moved over to Jax and launched the WWF Classic Superstars line, which was kind of the first nostalgia-driven adult collector line specifically for wrestling figures. So they put out all of these classic superstars that had never uh, had figures, didn't have current relationships with uh, the WWF, WWE at the time. And and really, you can attribute a lot of what's going on in the modern day world of you know toy collecting and specifically wrestling figure collecting uh, back to Jeremy because he was an innovator. and uh, But that's not all he, he does or has done. He's got uh, quite an interesting uh, take on collecting and investment collecting. And we kind of talked a lot about that. We talked about Pokemon. We talked about uh, wrestling really all sorts of stuff. We covered a lot of ground. So it's about an hour conversation. I really think you're going to get a lot out of it. I think our listeners are really enjoy uh, hearing from Jeremy. And uh, we're going to have more conversations like this coming up with with various people. We're working on some stuff. And obviously, we've got the regular episodes that will continue every week with Jacob and myself and Abigail. Um, So yeah, we're just getting through it. 2020 has been crazy weird. We, uh, you know... We're supposed to have Bill and Ted Face the Music coming out in a couple weeks. We'll see what happens. Um, obviously, Ghostbusters Afterlife was supposed to come out last week. That is now happening next March. So as the world adjusts to pandemic and quarantine and everything else and then kind of readjusts and reschedules, we, uh, we're going along for the ride. So we appreciate everybody's support we've had a lot of fun this summer we love doing the ebay hangs and we love getting together and and talking toys the good thing is there's been a lot of toy releases so um, NECA just dropped you know the metalhead uh, ultimate figure and the Casey Jones and Foot Clan cartoon two-pack and obviously people are still out looking for the Raphael and Casey Jones two-pack at Walmart and uh, so toy hunting is definitely still happening and uh, we've had a lot of good toy releases. So we'll, we'll kind of catch up over the next couple of weeks and kind of figure out where our collections are at and where they're going. Obviously, I wonder if everybody's sick of me talking about Masters of the Universe yet because it seems to be coming up in every conversation I have, but I'm actually having a lot of fun collecting the uh, classics line and we'll have some major updates on that coming up on the podcast this week. Um, so anyways let's get to this interview. So Jeremy Padour, Jazzware is coming up right now. And stay tuned to the feed because we've got another surprise drop interview. We're partnering with our friends at the GB Containment Unit. They are a Ghostbusters autograph group. Matt and Tom are great guys. They are holding these signings. They're getting Ghostbusters guests. They're getting access to these Autographs that we've never had before, and I really love what they're doing. So we're doing a little partnership with them. So when they get new signings and they do these interviews with their their uh, the people that they're doing signings with, we'll uh, we'll try to participate and, and uh, get in on those interviews and get those on the feed. So we'll uh, we'll have one of those dropping in the next couple of days as well. So all right, well that's enough from me. Thank you, everybody, for the support. Make sure you follow Yes Have Some on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and all of that, at YHS Podcast. And uh, stay tuned for updates because we've got some fun stuff coming up. Comic Con, virtual Comic Cons coming up, and then DC fandom and then uh maybe movies will start coming to movie theaters and we could talk about those because that's kind of what we do. The last movie we saw in theaters was Birds of Prey, and I feel like since then the world has stopped. So I need Bill and Ted to go into theaters. I need to go back in time and rectify the fact that the first or the last movie I saw was Birds of Prey. Okay, cool. Uh I'm gonna stop rambling. We're gonna get onto the interview right now. All right, everybody, thank you. Here we go. Bye. All right, everybody, welcome to a very special conversation. <laughs> That's weird. I don't know why. This is a, uh, a back-to-school special is what we're going to call this one. Jeremy Padower from Jazzwares, so happy to have you. You're uh, you're taking Twitter by storm with these scavenger hunts and these collectibles giveaways. It's been great. Uh, welcome to Yes, Have Some, man. Thanks for uh, being here.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm uh, really... Pleased to be here, and I'm um, having a lot of fun online and kind of pursuing my uh, lifelong passion.
0: Well, as you can see, uh, I'm a toy person, so oh my God. love it. I can uh, I can talk toys, and that and that's what we're going to do. So I guess you know people who listen to our podcast probably know a little bit about you. You've got a long history in the toy industry. You started off at Mattel, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, really made a name for yourself in the industry at Jack's with the with the you know WWF WWE classic superstars line, Um, and now Jazzwares. So we we were at Toy Fair this year; it was our first time being there, and uh, I got to say, just aesthetically, you guys killed it with your booth. Like it that was a oh, that was a beautiful booth.
1: Thank you, thank you. Yeah, no, there's a there's a big team at Jazzwares, and I will say that it is truly uh, a lot of passionate people, and even. During this time with COVID, uh, people that w- would generally be focused in driving those shows and events uh, were like, hey, we still want to do something else. So we've repurposed everyone that does those events to work on product. I mean, we've just we've had such a wonderful team. They're so passionate. They're so ready to roll. And I'm glad that you had that experience at Toy Fair because that, that's everything we would want you to have.
0: Yeah. And, and obviously, I guess we'll, we'll probably we'll, we'll work backwards. So let's go ahead yeah. and just start off with. Um, you know, Jazzwares is kind of, I don't want to say up and coming, but uh, uh a relatively newer name. I mean, not as old as Hasbro or Mattel, uh, right? But uh, you've got some great licenses, you're doing some great yeah. stuff, and uh, AEW figures are coming. I mean, I guess when I asked our audience, like what, what people really want to know is, especially as far as AEW goes is how did that, you know, how did that partnership come together? Who, who made the first call? You've got a long history, you know, launching a very successful uh, wrestling figure lines. So it's a match made in heaven. So I'm, yeah. glad, I'm glad it's happening.
1: Yeah, we are too. Uh, so in October of last year, uh, wicked cool toys, which was the company that uh, I was a partner of with my business partners, Michael Rinsler and Thomas Poon, We sold to Jazzwares through Allegheny Capital. And basically, they combined Jazzwares and Wicked Cool Toys. And now we are Jazzwares, one Jazzwares company. Uh, Since we actually acquired Kelly Toy, which made uh, Squishmallows, which is like one of the biggest, uh, actually the biggest plush brand out there. But October, that acquisition was made. And um, prior to that, about, I guess about six months prior to that, so around March or April of last year... um, we, I noticed that there was an upstart wrestling organization that was owned by or co-owned by a billionaire and had amazing talent attached to it. And it just reminded me of the era of WCW versus WWF. Yeah. And because yeah. I've been involved in wrestling stuff for 20 years, I, I came in on wrestling just after the Attitude Era. And we can get into that. But I'm very, very familiar and uh, excited because I, I knew that it takes a lot of capital and a lot of power to launch a national or global wrestling organization. And so when I saw that and I saw the Khan family was involved and then I saw the talent with Cody and Jericho and Omega and all these guys, Young Bucks, it sort of blew my mind because I realized like, holy moly, like, it's been 20 years since there was a global organization that truly had the power, financial and and uh, creative. So uh, we reached out. I reached out right away. Like, uh, want to talk to you guys? Um, got a couple good leads from some wonderful people, uh, and um, you know, as a result, uh, you know, it put us in a it put us in a situation. We were on the phone with them, and when we were on the phone. Uh, it it wasn't hard for me to sell the concept because, you know, we had so much experience in this area. So, but it still took a few months to go through all of the due diligence and uh, we signed a deal and uh, really uh, right close to my heart. I mean, wrestling and Pokemon and a few other brands are my favorite brands. So it truly is like one of the, miracles of life to, uh, you know, believe in something, follow your passions and then accumulate experiences that people actually trust. It, it you know, I'm thrilled to be where I am right now in my career. Yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's
0: amazing. I think like for you, you know, for those who don't remember, for those who do uh, classic superstars was this uh, incredible line that kind of relaunched my personal excitement in collecting and wrestling figures you know, way back, what, I don't, two thousand six, two thousand seven, something along, along those lines. Oh, look at that!
1: Ultimate Warrior, New York Toy Fair. This was October of two thousand thirteen when we first launched uh, Classic Superstars. And I'm sorry, two thousand three. That's say thirteen. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm <laughs> old, man. <laughs> it's the fine, decades it's are fine. together. Time so, is meaningless. Yeah, October two thousand three. Yeah. And um, at the time, I was twenty nine years old. And, uh, I was, uh, you know, excited, relatively new to that company and dead set on bringing wrestling back because, you know, essentially after the attitude era, wrestling was still being treated like a toy. And my mindset was, no, we need to turn this into a collectible. And so, We were able to do so by creating something like Classic Superstars. And I will say that I never will forget, you know, Vince McMahon uh, hearing out the plan and approving it. Essentially, you know, I didn't know if we were going to be able to get Ultimate Warrior or Bret Hart in that first wave. But we were able to because, you know, when McMahon says, you know, if it's good for business, he means it. Even though he was at odds uh, with a couple of those uh, superstars at the time. Right. Um, and there was no alumni group at the time either. I mean, if you remember, it was like, whatever's right in your face, whatever was being pushed on TV, that was the talent. And in my mindset was like, wait a second, I've loved wrestling my whole life. I grew up in Memphis and the South. And how about all those guys that would come in regionally? And it was just, it was honestly, it was one of the best times of my life talking to all these guys on the phone, going to dinner with some of them is crazy. Uh,
0: I can't can't imagine. I mean, to be able to, and that was a time when like nostalgia wasn't, you know, now everything's nostalgia. Everything's looking backwards, reactivating old brands, which I know you guys are doing, which we can get to um, uh, capitalize. You know, you look at what Mattel and Hasbro are doing right now with like Ghostbusters, Masters of the Universe, Star Wars. It's it's, everyone's looking back, retro packaging. Yeah, cool. yeah, so so now you're in this situation where you've you've had this experience where you 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 saw an opening, right? You saw this opening in the market that says no one's doing. We want there's collectors out there who want Ultimate Warrior, they want Bret Hart, they want you know all yeah. of these all these guys they knew from childhood, and you you did that. It's an expansive line. It's uh, what and I know this has got to be close to your heart. This this has to make you feel good. The secondary market, the value oh. is great. Um, great. And, and I love that.
1: And, yeah. That's that's everything. Like I, and, it was designed for that. Right. I mean, I would say the one thing that I like as much as those brands is macroeconomic theory. Like I love macroeconomics. All right. It's, let's do it. It's, it I mean, the, the essentially it's very basic. The basic concept is supply and demand and rarity. So if you have a, regardless of what your demand is, if your supply is slightly below demand, it creates rarity. That's essentially the laws of economics. And so for me, when I see a situation where there is a very clear um, group of affinity collectors, especially in something that I love, right? I I know that doing a one of a hundred is certainly below demand. In fact, it's so far below demand that it creates a secondary market value that makes people excited. Yep. That's the psycholo- That's the psychology of it. You, you feel extremely excited by something that's a limited edition. And it's a good thing, even though it's annoying to some people because, ah, I want to have everything. But no, here's the good part. By doing that, it gives you more longevity. It gives you a longer time horizon to create everything that you want to create. So if you want the B and C characters, characters that probably won't be uh, celebrated again until perhaps, you know, someone crazy enough does it. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, If you want that, you have to have the high-end stuff and pull in people who are not your traditional everyday wrestling figure collector, but pull in people who just like secondary market value and pull in your casual collector because they feel excited. When you do that, you get longevity, because you've created an economic system that works. And so that's one component of it. The second component of it is understanding how to manage your mixes. So if I had a case pack of 12, I would have the A-level guys as two. I would have the B-level superstars, men and women as one. And I would have the C-level as one every two MasterCard. Again, what it does is it solves a huge problem at the retail space in terms of selling through. And because of the rarity associated with the C-level characters, it makes them exciting and interesting, just like an A-level character. Right. So right. there's a there's a uh, science, economics, psychology, and it creates market demand that would be greater than what it would normally be, and that's the whole economic theory behind
0: it. Well, I love it. And and th- these are concepts that need to be uh, discussed in a more long form like this. You can't, you know, when you, when you're running a toy company or you're, uh, you know, a brand manager at a toy company and you've got collectors going, I can't find this thing. There's too many scalpers X, Y, and Z. You can't really explain this in a tweet. Like this is uh and like you just <laughs> said, this is, there's a psychological component to it and there's a business component. And, um, So I love it. I mean, when, you know, I, I collect all sorts of toys, all sorts of collectibles. I have got a general interest in the hobby. Um, as you can see, and um, one, one of my all time favorite lines, which, um, I brought something to, and you'll probably be familiar speaking of rarity. And, uh, uh, there we got the, uh, the Jacks, (laughs) the Rocky one of 1800, um, you know, ringside collectibles, exclusive, um, the Rocky line is really interesting because you 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 had your hands in on that and and uh, yeah and the that's a line that at the time was pretty available and I remember it going to like discount and KB three for ten and now those figures are sixty seventy eighty dollars a pop all day because as soon as, well, as soon as it dried up then the demand sets in so it's uh, it's very very interesting.
1: Well, and you know minty fresh on card a lot of that stuff gets busted open and can yep. breathe as our, as our friends say. Um, but, but the bottom line is, um, yeah, that happens over time. And over time, the other thing that happens is that more people discover it. Mm -hmm. So if a hundred people discover something when it's at retail, but over the next 15 years, a thousand more people discover it, scarcity,
0: demand higher
1: than supply. And then some of the supply over the course of time just becomes obsolescent. gets thrown away. Someone drives over it. They drop it out of an airplane. Right, Who knows right, right. what happened to this stuff? I've, I've but had, at the end of the day, yeah. The scarcity. Yeah.
0: I've had a couple of Rocky figures I've bought in package that have kind of shown up at the uh, front doorstep, basically disintegrating. So, uh, I open all my stuff, so it's fine. Um, but, but what I love about a line like Rocky or specifically classic superstars and what, what gets me excited as a collector is it's such a, an extensive line. So if you're diving in for the first time on classic superstars, you know, obviously you're well behind the curve because it's been, you know, 15, 20 years. And, uh, but as a collector and that hunt and you know get trying to hunt down the rare ones and like you say the A B it, it's always the C characters that become the the hardest ones to find because of all the reasons you've already talked about.
1: Um, and I mean, yeah, it's Matt great. Cardona, Matt Cardona just uh, collected everything, and cr- and I was getting texts every day like <laughs> "F you, you suck." you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I won't say any of the bad words. No, it's fine. We, we,
0: we, we, we have a segment on our show called the fuck budget where we talk about how many fucks we give
1: about certain toys and toy lines. So you're, you're good. All right. That's good to know. Yeah. I'm going to use exactly zero of those on my budget. But what I will do, what I will do is I will use other words like fudge.
0: Okay. there There you go. There you go. There you go. Um, so yeah, we've had Matt, we've had Matt on the show and they, those guys do a great job. And, uh, uh I, I love the, the internet toy communities, uh, is a pretty damn
1: cool place. So. Uh, oh, it's the best. I mean, honestly, I, I, you know, I think one thing I had said recently is that the, the collector community is amazing because what it does is it gives outsiders like me a place. Like I grew up in Tennessee and Mississippi. I always felt out of place. I was a Jewish kid in Mississippi there were 30 of us in the town. Uh, not that that's, look, you're, everyone's affiliated with something. Right. And that just be my religious affiliation. Uh, and, and, but when there's nobody else, you know, it does leave you in a, in a very judgy place mm-hmm. to be like, what am I a part of? But I was also a part of being a collector. Even as a kid, I was writing baseball players. I was, I was, I was collecting stamps and coins and cards and I will tell you, it was being a part of something bigger than myself that really led to this and led me down the path. So I love the collector community because I am a collector. And whether I was making toys or collectibles or not, I would still be a collector. I mean, so it's that mentality, absolutely, that that sort of, you know, leads me to, to spending time with you because, I you know, we're the same We're the same philosophy. We're the same people.
0: Yeah. And I can relate to that. So, I I mean, I I was, uh, uh, you know, Goldberg. I was a Jewish kid and... uh Twenty minutes south of Atlanta. I think if I was about twenty minutes north oh. of twenty minutes north of Atlanta, I would have had more uh, camaraderie as far as being uh, being <laughs> Jewish. But twenty minutes south of Atlanta, I, nobody even until Bill Goldberg debuted in WCW, I, no one had ever even heard of my last name before. And then it was just, "Is that your uncle?" It's like, "No, this happens to be a pretty famous name outside of you know Stockbridge, Georgia." Uh, but anyways,
1: <laughs> I, I think the answer to is Goldberg your uncle. I think the answer is yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> At least somebody's talking to me. Um, but yeah. I, I was the same way. I was a, I was a huge basketball card collector, and it's been really cool. Um, I've kind of kept up with the you know the trading card market over the years, and to see how like the '90s had that that you know overabundance of cards, and then the whole market crashed, and then eBay flooded the market. But now some of that mid '90s stuff is actually starting to rise definitely. in price,
1: and definitely, I'll give you. So as we're talking about stuff, I'll just pull something. So I recently. Uh, did something I never expected to do. So this is a 1989 Bowman Tiffany, uh, Ken Griffey Jr. in PSA 10 condition, okay? I, in a million years, would have never expected to collect anything from the late 80s, which was the most overproduced, over-delivered, over-everything time for cards. But I collected this primarily because a few things have happened. Um, PSA came in, you know, in the last 20 years and has become like the standard with BGS in terms of grading. And it allows you to take what was, let's just make it a triangle. What was an overabundant supply of product? And then to zero cast it just on this very tip of the triangle of the PSA 10s and for other PSA 9s and 8s that make it interesting to collect into that stuff. So the lower grade stuff may not be worth anything. Right. The highest grade stuff is actually valuable. Like even the Ken Griffey Jr 89 upper deck, if you go in with just a regular upper deck Ken Griffey Jr, it's it's you know, it's worth in the tens of dollars. Right. But the PSA 10 is like a $1,300, 1400 dollar card. So I I I still I I like some of that late 80s stuff. It's shocking that it actually turned came around, but it has everything to do with the grading services. Otherwise it wouldn't, you know, there wouldn't be much value.
0: Yeah. It's the grading services for sure. And then when you, you insert that nostalgia, which we're talking about, which now, you know, the last dance documentary, the, the, the bulls documentary, which was when I was like, Oh, I'm going to start my, my on-card Chicago bulls autograph collection. at the Same time as every other person, you know, on eBay. But, uh, I got everybody I want except for Jordan, which I feel like all Jordan autographs are basically unaffordable at this point. But, uh,
1: one day I'll well, get one. I'll show you one. This is one of my this is one of my Grail items. It's usually in my safety deposit box. Oh, cool! And it's not anything that you would ever expect. Okay, okay. But it is. So, do you remember starting lineup? Of course, yeah. So this is the only BGS ten Jordan 88 1st year starting lineup card. That's out great. of that's zillions of starting lineups that have ever been made. This is the only BGS 10 that's even in the 88 line, and it may be the only BGS 10 in starting lineup ever graded uh, because these cards were just so imperfect. So to me, I look at this Jordan and I go like, I go like, this is a serious, awesome, freaking amazing card. But you know what? Starting lineup has never really been given the respect as a card. But the valuation, even on the starting lineup stuff, is starting to it tick up as well.
0: Yeah, because I remember I was collecting starting lineups, so I was I was born in '84, so you know '91, '92. I, I remember we would always go. My my uh, my stepdad worked for the government, so we would go to the PX. Oh, cool. We'd go on base, and they always had a lot of starting lineups. They'd get probably all the you know the overrun or whatever. Um, and there was a time when like those early release Jordan, Magic Johnson, David Robinson, like all those players, they were. Ticking up in price, and then that same thing with the cards—they just it just crashed, and now yeah. in 2020 they're they're creeping back up again. So uh, uh, very cool that 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 you know that card is amazing. That you know, and, and if you I remember, I even I remember looking at those cards, and they're kind of cheap, you know, really cheap cardboard, yeah. off center, cut poorly, <laughs> like. Uh, so that's great. That's a that's definitely so, a holy grail.
1: So getting this in this condition, it's just so. And and I think about it because I know. I even, you know, I, am close with the people that actually even worked on the starting lineup cards, even to kick it off. Like one of my buddies, Tom McGrath was at Kenner at the time. And yeah, th- it was just so mass produced, but again, grading makes, uh, a, a demand curve change because if you have a million of something, but then you get all the way to the top and you have one, yep. it doesn't matter. The other 999,000 plus are irrelevant if you're collecting for grade because there's only one that everyone can have. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the ways I look at collecting because I I look under rocks. I mean, like for instance, I'll give you one more. The, the 1999 Charizard PSA 10 is a first edition base card is a $60,000 card now. Okay. It's very, very valuable and very expensive, but three years prior, Cardus did a Prism card for Charizard. They did a red and a green. The total population of this card is 59. So it's exactly six times more rare than that very expensive Charizard card I just communicated. And you know what? I believe over time with awareness, these cards will be extremely valuable because Charizard and because Pokemon has shown such tremendous growth. Because why? Why? That triangle again, the high-valued consumers start to show themselves as the age of the demographic goes up. So if you go back to 1999 when Pokemon kicked off, you're talking about 6 to 10-year-olds, right? Today, those kids are 26 to 32, and they've got a little bit of money. They've got a little bit of influence, and they have access and proximity to money, and they're able to influence others. Wait 15 years, and let's check back in about where the valuation of some of this stuff is because that market is fully, fully baked with 45-year-old people who are who have access to capital. How cool is that? I
0: mean, so like Pokemon is always a little bit lost on me. I have a deep appreciation for it as I do, you know, any, even just because I don't, you know, wasn't into something. And it's just because I was uh, 84, I was, you know, 14, 15 by the time it debuted. So I, I missed that window, similar to why... Um, uh, everybody who listens to our podcast knows I recently got really into Masters of the Universe, but I have no, oh, nice. I've got no nostalgia for it because by the time I was four years old, it was basically done. It was Ninja Turtles, yeah. Ghostbusters, you know, uh, and and bath and the NBA, which was like it's funny to think of you know sports as a an entertainment property, but that was the time when sports was really becoming an entertainment property. Um, yeah, but with something like Pokemon, I, I completely agree because now everything you just said, um, not the brand has proven that it has life well beyond maybe what the normal shelf life of, of a normal brand is. And it's not only, uh, people are not only nostalgic for the original stuff, but it, it, you know, Pokemon go comes out and then like jazz wears, you know, what you guys have done or, or with wicked cool, like, you yeah. know, putting out the toys and everything else. And it's going to keep going like that, that trains on the tracks for a very long time.
1: And it was really an amazing time. I mean, Pokemon. So I've been involved with Pokemon since 2006, when my when I was an executive in a prior company, and we were able to, to get the brand uh, from Hasbro. Um, and by developing very deeply into the brand, we grew it significantly. And so when I when I had the opportunity with my business partners to pitch for Pokemon in 2016, uh, we were very fortunate that they. You know, wanted not only to, to, for us to make their product globally, but they also invested in our organization, which was amazing. And really that came to fruition partially because of the strength of Pokemon Go. They had made an acquisition, they had made a investment in, in that company. Pokemon Go was on fire. And by the way, it still is. Don't let anybody fool you. It's still one of the hottest uh, apps and games out there. 100%. Um, and- And we were very fortunate to be their, you know, their second uh, investment. And so, um, you know, look, I don't know if karma is real, but I will tell you that your deeds over the course of time and the way you treat other people does come back to you. It may not come back in the way you would expect it, but it definitively comes back to you. And so that was a great example of trust formed over a long period of time that turned into an amazing situation.
0: That's great. What a great story. Uh, and it's just a cool brand and it's got worldwide, you know, recognition. Uh, you know, even now what the Ryan Reynolds movie came out and like it, people, it. I feel like I, I still haven't seen it, but I feel like people, um, it, it maybe we had an underground following for a long time and, and that that's just no longer the case. It's uh it's, it's a major player.
1: And one of the things I also find interesting is as I collect uh Pokemon product, uh, what I find is that it's evolving now from being that first generation of collector to um, an investment collector, like people that are putting more money into it. Right. And right. it's a global phenomenon. Like half the stuff I'm buying is on like is from Denmark or Norway or Finland or the UK or Australia or Asia, or even some stuff from, from Africa. Like it's all over the world. It's a wonderful, wonderful, uh, brand to be a part of.
0: When you, um, when you look at the current, uh, collectibles market in general, whether it be cards or toys or figures, are you, um, are you thinking five, 10 years out? Like what, what are you looking at new properties? Like if you're like prospecting or or kind of, because, because it seems like that's what you're, you're, as far as, um, Collecting goes. You're looking at something that maybe it's, it's a diamond in the rough right now, but ten years from now, it could be yeah. it, you know it could be that Charizard or, or whatever.
1: Absolutely. I mean, when it comes to brands, if you're looking to maximize, I would say look for brands that are have become lifestyle brands like He-Man or Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh, where people never let them go. Where they're now, they used to be ten, but now they're thirty, and they're still excited a brand that's about 20 years old starts to really gain that secondary market value in a meaningful way. Um, By the time they're 30 years old, again, you've got kids that are now turning 40, 45. Like then you've got a full on, like fully vetted brand. And so what I think is going to happen is like you get for go forward 10 years and you're going to see like brands like Harry Potter, Neopets, uh, you know, um, Pokemon, magic, continuing, um, just gaining in value because again, people have had a career and now they are investing more deeply into the brands and the things that they loved. Right. And just after that, Roblox, Minecraft,
0: right. keep going. Yeah.
1: And, uh, this stuff becomes very, very interesting to people.
0: Yeah. I, um, you know, speaking of He-Man and Masters of the Universe, I know you were involved or I think you had some involvement in the, what was it? the. the- lot
1: a lot of the two, the 2000 X series yeah which is yes. cool. I'm
0: staring at a trap jaw from that series right now it's just out of reach uh somebody sent it to me. I'm, I'm not currently collecting that line, but anytime I make a big proclamation above uh, a toy line, I'm not going to collect. It's usually the next week when I start. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. but, but I have been going back and, and getting a lot of the classics, uh, which was the line, the, the Maddie collector line that launched in 2009. And it's just, they've skyrocketed. I mean, y- it's hard to find any of those figures of main characters for under a hundred, uh, even loose. Um, so, and um, but- the 2000 X line. Not, not, uh, so that line, it's not quite no, no, the 80, the 80s line, the, the early 80s line. It's actually the 2009 line. The, 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 the oh, second oh, reboot. Oh, right, right. right. The third wave, the, the third, third way. Now, um, the vintage stuff is extremely expensive, obviously. Um, especially when yeah. you get to those B and C characters, but the, the line that you worked on or had a lot of involvement in, um, all day 35 40 50 in package uh uh you know and i am not as I, familiar with it now but uh,
1: I'm, I'm learning i let me give you a little bit of uh inside baseball because it's been 20 years Cool. okay let's do it so when we when we launched he man in 2001 uh basically the the or 2002 it was we we overly embedded He-Man and Skeletor into the mix. Okay. Um, we were in a situation where you know, Mattel was still figuring itself out as a collector-driven organization. I have plenty of friends there, and I think so was the entire toy community. This is not a Mattel issue. This was an entire toy community issue. Right. And one of the things that was told to us is you have to have 66% He-Man and Skeletor in the mix. Well, with... The experience that I have today, I would have been like, heck no, no, definitely not. This has to be, you know, uh, every character, the way we we developed uh, the wrestling business. I mean, if we made 66 percent John Cena, it would have been dead very quickly. Right. And frankly speaking, that's that that hurt us. If we would have if we would have developed Masters of the Universe to be what it was in the early 80s, where you go and go to the shelf and they had. 18 characters at a time, or whatever it was. Um, and with no real specific overabundance of He-Man and Skeletor, I mean, I think that we would have lasted many, many years longer, yeah. but all of these things in, are only known in retrospect. And I think when, when He-Man comes back and I know that it's in the process, right. Of yeah, the movie yeah. content, then I'm sure they're not going to manage it where it's you know, let's make sure that two out of every th- three things is He-Man and Skeletor. Uh, it'll be much more broad well, this time around. Well, Mattel
0: is relaunching again. They're doing an Origins line. So basically they're doing a full line that are based more articulated versions of the vintage, eighties uh, line. Um, cool. so cool, cool stuff. Um, but I think that 20 year window is about right because you know, I, I bought and sold toys full time for a very short period of my life. Um, at least that's what I told my parents. I just lost my job. I was like, <laughs> I'm just going to try buying and selling toys and quickly realize was it. this 2000. 10, 2011. So this was a, a really bad time. This is when Pawn Stars started getting really popular, and everybody thought that everything they had was worth uh, either uh, eBay prices or, or my. It, it became hard to flip and, uh, and to to make any real profit. But um, yep. twenty years that the He-Man line you worked on, the, the, those are increasing in prices because there's a whole generation of kids who that that was their first introduction to the to the line. Uh, well, so it's it's interesting.
1: I mean, the, two, the two figures not to buy are Spin Blade, He-Man, and Something Blade Skeletor. Because we, I remember that I perf personally was the brand manager, and way overproduced those two figures. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> again, in are early in your career, you're subject to making more mistakes, uh, and and that's probably one of the bigger mistakes I've ever made in my career. Sling Blade, whatever the heck it was, Something Blade, and Something Blade. just, yeah. just a. Those like the plague. We'll, That's avoid, those I'm ones.
0: we'll avoid those ones. Um, so um, I, I still want to talk about these AEW figures because I think it's really interesting that this experience now that you have, of you have the, all this experience of, uh, oh, look at that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That packaging is great, by that the way. In, you know, the packaging
1: is beautiful, right?
0: That is beautiful. Um, so for those who don't know, uh, Wave 1 uh, is going to be hitting pretty soon what the next four to six weeks, something like that. Yeah. That's right. Beautiful. Look at that. I
1: think what's, I think what's yeah. really
0: cool about this is that, you know, AEW is uh, still an upstart brand and there, there's a lot of kids out there who might not even know it exists yet. So you, yeah. you not only have the opportunity to take advantage of a collector's market where they're going to get Cody, they're going to get Brandy and Jericho and the Bucks and Omega, and uh, they're going to get the ringside exclusives and all that, but you're also going to be able to have kids, you know, walking through Walmart who maybe they only know John Cena or uh, you know uh, Seth Rollins or the Undertaker? Right. They haven't even been exposed to AEW yet.
1: Yeah, and maybe this will be something like, "Wow, what is that? I need to check it out." Because honestly, that's that's the way a lot of things happen in life. Uh, I mean, I remember as a kid, you know, going to retail and falling in love with something that I didn't know, and I learned more about it. And I think it's one of the purest ways to learn about a brand is seeing the product first. It's, it's not the most successful strategy for a consumer products company to follow, but on an individual basis, I mean, look, I remember being a kid and going to retail and finding brands I just didn't even know. I mean, I didn't think I saw Star Wars uh, until I saw the figures. And when I saw the figures, I was like, whoa, that is awesome. What the heck is that? Right. And it made me more interested. Uh, G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe I collected before I ever saw the entertainment, ever. Because I just thought it was so cool to have, you know, these series of like, you know, heroes that were associated with, you know, uh, America and defending our country and da 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 da. It's, it's very cool. Oh yeah, I mean, and
0: I'm kind of the, the funny thing is I'm that way now because I, I, I was pretty singularly focused uh, as a kid, but now I'm trying to have a more general knowledge of the history of toys and um, maybe different brands and things that I wasn't into as a kid. That I, I just want to learn everything there is to learn. Want to know where they came from, what made them successful, what made them, you know, not successful. Um, but I agree with you. Is it so Fortnite? is a big deal across the board. Jazwares has the Fortnite uh, branding uh, or the, the toy line. Yeah. Is it, and I don't know anything about Fortnite. I just know that, you know, it's a huge game and kids play it. And that, that's the extent of my knowledge. Yes. Um, you're, you're very collector focused, but also you're making a mass market toy line with, with AEW and some other lines. Well, just in general, I'm sure there's a lot of market research and data that suggests maybe otherwise, but my feeling is that the attention span of a kid is a lot less than it used to be. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but like, I guess the question I'm asking is when you're putting out a new toy line, how much of like knowing what a a, a kid in 1985 might go to the toy store and want one of every single GI Joe figure, one of every single star Wars figure. and And that was their entertainment. You're kind of competing with a lot of different stuff these days. So yeah, forgetting the collector's market for a second, how how do you guys approach that when you're when you're launching a new line? Is
1: well, that, I mean, look, it's, yeah, yeah, and and it's and we've lost Toys R Us, so we've lost right, the, right. the toy store. So look, I mean, it used to be there were there were fewer brands, and there were there was a repository of collectibles and toys with Toys R Us. Uh, it's really really difficult to break through to mass retail. Uh, there's just no doubt. Um, but you know, you, you tend to get a sense as to how to play that game and, and know what brands to look for and how to position them and what's worked in the past. And, you know, I'd say that we certainly, uh, are quite good at that. Um, but yeah, you say no a lot more nowadays. Like, you know, if there's a hundred things presented to you, you might say no 99 times, uh, back, you know, 20 years ago, if there were a hundred things presented to you, you might say no 89 times, uh, It's just there's so much more. But, yeah, I mean, look, the impact is still very, very tremendous. And plus now, you know, you've got online. And even though there's no toy store with uh, Toys R Us, every retailer has the opportunity to go deeper because they have an online presence. And certainly, you know, uh, look, I'd say Amazon probably has uh, practically everything that you may have found at Toys R Us and uh, with a little, little even more obscurities. Uh, but there's really nothing like going to the store and experiencing it firsthand.
0: No, I mean, that's, and those are the best memories and that's another, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, really, as far as mass market, you know, big box retail, it, it is Walmart and target and to get shelf space. Uh, anybody who watches shark tank can, <laughs> knows that it's not easy yeah. to get shelf space. Um,
1: Probably not.
0: so, um, so with, with the AEW figures now, um, what what is the the strategy those will be in walmart first or or how does that how does that work
1: so uh at at retail they'll be at walmart uh first walmart has the the brick and mortar exclusive okay and uh but also available online at ringside collectibles as well as walmart.com very cool very cool um and going into next year going into spring we'll be opening it up for sure
0: cool 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 yeah and i mean i think um, w- what I'm excited about with with and and it's weird because I I always tell people I'm more than I'm much more than a casual wrestling fan because I listen to a lot of wrestling podcasts and I've uh, kept up with it you know at it, least have my finger on the pulse for basically my entire life um yeah but mm-hmm. um it, it's hard to to you know there's a lot of wrestling content out there um but obviously AEW is making a making waves and is a big deal so that's got to just be exciting knowing that you're, you're starting at the ground up and really like I've seen you on Twitter. You're asking people for ideas. You're connecting with fans. Like there's limitless possibilities when it comes to this. So how do you approach it? You know, obviously you're making figures of wrestlers. These are professional wrestlers. They have their characters. They've got their, their gimmicks and their costumes, and they wrestle in a wrestling ring. So as a, as a longtime person in the toy industry, how do you what are those out of the box conversations like like how do we differentiate so how do we make ourselves different from what Mattel's doing or different from what happened at Jack's or or whatever because that to me you're 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 a creative so that has to be like yeah. the most exciting part.
1: Yeah, it's exciting and I think listen I think if you look at the progression of the action figure universe at least in the wrestling figures um you went from LJN well, actually, I won't even go prior to LJN, but you went to LJN with the big, bulky sort of rubbery figures right. to the Hasbros, right. which were still not necessarily realistic, but had a battle action to Jack's, which were much more realistic and became even more realistic over the course of time to Mattel, where they nailed the scale. And um, now I think for us, we... If we did any improvements, it's really maybe to articulation and to also kind of reach backwards and put together some of that collector packaging that people love that cost a little bit more money for the manufacturer, but really puts you in a situation where you look at it and go, wow, that's something I want to display. Um, So, but I think over the course of time, you constantly see um, figures looking more and more realistic and, you know, I'm sure at some point you'll reach terminal realism and then uh, maybe... Then you go backwards. Maybe then you start celebrating uh, some of the more primitive figures that came before it as part of the exploratory exercise.
0: I mean that that's the, that's the always the funny thing about the way that you know nostalgia works is that you you hit the point where it can't get any better. You see it with like retro gaming. I saw you made a post. Saw a couple people post this about the uh, the the Super Mario Brothers. Uh, yeah. The you know the copy that sold. Yeah, it's insane. But like you know even though the PS five is going to have an incredible, it's only so much, you can only get so much better. So then people start looking backwards. They, they bust out their PlayStation or their, their Nintendo 64. And yeah.
1: And I think, I think the gaming, the retro gaming market is truly coming into its own now. I mean, like it, I mean, I think that a lot of people are going to start investing in vintage gaming. Um, But look, I mean, why not? It's a, it's a tangible object that represents something that you loved And, um, why, why wouldn't it, uh, you know, have premium value, even though a lot of the utility is on the digital element that's inside the cartridge. Um, it still represents something that you engage with so much as a child. I just, I I think that the value of of that is going to maintain and grow over time.
0: Right. And for me as a collector, like I like to display things. So to me, I've been looking at the old, uh, the, the first two back to the future games for, for Nintendo. Um, I'm not going to play them, but I want the box art and I want the, uh, the, the cartridge and the, and the, uh, the game guide and everything because I I had it and now I need to have it again.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. No, I mean, I, I think, uh, anything, anything that has that tangible element, um, I, you know, it's like we're losing some of that nowadays, everything, the stuff that's purely digital, is a little bit more difficult to embrace as you get older. I mean, you know, how do you show off a digital avatar? I I don't know. And, and so I think that it's collecting is evolving. Obviously. I mean, my kid plays Robo. Robo, we make Roblox toys, but my kid plays Roblox, you know, she has a PhD in it at this point, I think she's, uh, and she has digital, uh, elements, um, whether it be gear or pets or characters, that have premium secondary market value. Um, But it's still not something that you can show off on a shelf. So I imagine we're going to get to a point one day where there'll be avatars that you can't replicate or duplicate that you can show off in some sort of tangible way. But right now we're still kind of not necessarily there yet. I don't know the, I don't know the, asset that would allow you to show that stuff off.
0: Yeah. Maybe I'm all, I'm thinking like one of those digital uh, picture frames, but that's because uh, my mind doesn't you know, like it's hard. Like when they put out like a new video game, like NBA 2K or whatever, and it's like, there's the gold edition, the platinum edition. And to me, I'm like, cool. What is it? What is that tangible thing it comes with? Is it, is it a Funko pop? Is it a, and it's like, no, you just get more stuff in the game. And that's always hard yeah. for me to, to, I'm like, well, I want to, how do I take a picture of it?
1: Absolutely. And it's so I I think it's a missed opportunity. And certainly there is the opportunity um, to work with uh, gaming companies to provide something tangible to say, I had the Platinum Edition and here's how, you know, because I have this thing. And uh, I honestly think that that is a a whole business model that is... uh, waiting
0: to happen. Oh, 100%. I don't remember what it was. I was in a GameStop a couple this was before quarantine or anything like that, but I was I was in a GameStop and they were running some promotion. I think it was a limited edition uh, enamel pin for for Fortnite. Um cool. and in in they had sold out immediately. And I was in there for 10 minutes and I think they probably got 15 or 20 phone calls in the 10 minutes people looking for it. So, um I oh. I agree with you. It is a missed opportunity. Um well, listen, we'll, we'll get close to wrapping up here. I, I really appreciate the conversation. I think. Oh,
1: my pleasure. My pleasure. I mean, I, it's a blast for me to chat about this stuff. And I'm always uh, excited to communicate, you know, with people who are passionate about this and, and dedicating a part of their life towards celebrating it. And it's just great to see you doing this. You do such a great job and also collecting the, uh, connecting the community. You know, any chance I get, I you know, just to validate the fact that you know, they've given me so much in my life, uh, to that, that I'm passionate about. So thank you for that. Really.
0: Oh, uh, no, I, I appreciate it. It's funny. Cause it's like, I'm, I'm, i finish up the day job and then I hop over to the, to the night job. And at some point I sleep, I'm not sure when that is, but, um, yeah, it's great. But you're, dedicating,
1: you're dedicating a portion to your, of your life to something that you have a deep passion for. Yep. And, um, whether, you know, whether it's 100% of your professional life or whether it's 5% of your professional life, you have something at stake. You have a toe in it. And in your case, a lot more than that. And and what I say to people, you know, because I, I challenge people all the time, like, are you doing what you feel passionate about? It doesn't mean you have to do what you feel passionate about for a career or every day or every second. It just means that if you like gardening and you're not the state park arborist that's fine but have a little garden plant a tomato garden plant something have a have a thumb in it because that is good for your soul 100%, and someone 100%. said to me the other day like oh i wish i had a retail store i'm like well you can go on ebay set up a storefront sell two or three things a month go and buy so it doesn't even matter go to a yard sale find a few things that you find fun You know, even if you make 50 bucks that month, it's it's you've got a finger, a toe, an arm in stuff that you feel passionate about. And that's enough. I mean, I'll tell you, like my 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 cup overfloweth with the stuff that I love in my life. But even when the day will come where it won't, the day will come where I'm retired or I'm no longer, you know, focused on toys and collectibles professionally anymore. And I'll keep a toe in for sure. No doubt about it. I may not work at a toy company, but I'll collect and I'll talk about it and I'll always be in it. So my parting words really um, are follow your passions at least a little bit. Keep it in your life. Keep it close to your heart. And uh, and I love what you're doing. It's very clear to me that you're living your professional career, but you're also living your passions as well. And they may be one and the same, but you are definitely doing both.
0: Well I appreciate that. That's good. That's some I we I like inspirational. We we have a uh we have a Facebook group for the for the uh for the podcast called Group Therapy where we just all get in there. Uh, our number one rule is no memes. We want we want discussion. We want <laughs> we 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 want no no cheap no cheap pops. Uh we want <laughs> we want a uh, uh, and we talk about toys and the one thing I always tell people in 2010 I had one action figure um, And now I'm sitting in in what I would consider my my dream room, and uh, yeah, and and you know people, I, there's this weird thing that happens with collectors, especially they'll have like this like oh this is my collection, it's small, don't judge me, and it's like it's not about that, it's it's all about Definitely. what it's what what are your passions, and and those passions yes. can rapidly change because you know I don't I always say I'll never collect Transformers, but maybe one day I will, I don't know, Uh, I probably yeah. I probably won't because every time I've ever held a Transformer, I'm like I don't know what to do with this thing. Um, <laughs> Um, but um it's a, yeah.
1: a shared philosophy it's it's a shared philosophy it's right. people who have an affinity for something and they're transactional in nature yep and it's that shared philosophy and what the other thing that i love about that philosophy is that it's a philosophy it's not a skin color it's not a religion it's not a socioeconomic affiliation right it right. is truly a philosophy so i personally don't care whether someone has a thousand dollar collection, a hundred dollar collection or a million dollar collection. It's the philosophy that connects us. It's right. not the size of the collection. And yeah, that's, that's not one not thing all. that I really do love about this.
0: Yeah, because it's, it's that shared experience of walking into to a hobby shop or a toy store or getting on eBay. We, we do another thing on Friday night. We, we, we launched this in quarantine. We do the uh, the eBay hang. So we do virtual toy hunting on Friday nights where we, we we get on eBay and we just live stream it. And it turns into a big community conversation of, of just, you know, egging each other on, am I going to make an offer? And, and, and it's just, it's just, it's another way to, to kind of, to come together for that, you know, that shared passion. Um, so we love it. We absolutely love it. Um, listen, this has been great. I got to ask you one more thing and it just, it just dawned on me right before we started, um, people, people might not realize, you know, some of your early, uh, you know, in the mid 90s, I've listened to interviews with you and I know a little bit about your history. You you had kind of you launched some collectible sites. You, you were tracking yeah. the, the Beanie Babies. Uh, uh, and by the way, my prediction that Funko Pops were, were modern Beanie Babies hasn't come in, has not come to fruition yet because they keep going up in value.
1: Um, yeah, they do. And by the way, by the way, just to be clear, some of the Beanie Babies have escalated in value, too. But again, it's all about rarity, it's all about scarcity, it's all about condition, yeah, but yeah, definitely they definitely they definitely have
0: um so but one of the things you did is you 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 would buy up these uh domain names early on, yeah, and there was the report this week of of the guy who about ten years ago had bought all of these possible domain names for for the future Washington redskins name change, and I don't know if you read about this. Um, but he owns like twenty of these names that are all rumored names, and he's kind. And now, like, he's got the 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 Red Tails and the Washington Generals. He bought them all, uh, basically looking in the future, saying eventually the Redskins are going to change their name, and uh, now he's going to have to. There's a good chance he's going to he's going to profit off of it, which is kind of interesting.
1: So it's very interesting, and you know, trademark law is fascinating, okay. right? Because the way it works is this. If you have something that is merely um, generic in scope, it's impossible for someone that owns a trademark or a piece of a trademark to take it from you. So I had Act.com in the 1990s, and I sold it to Symantec. They make Act scheduling software. They couldn't come to me and say, hey, you're violating our trademark. Give us Act.com. They can only say, hey, we own a piece of this mark. And um, as a piece of this mark owner, you know, we, we would like to own act.com. Uh, but if you owned pepsi.com, it's considered arbitrary in scope. It's not, it's, it's a made up name. So the odds of you losing that on a challenge are very high. Wow. In a situation where you have pre, you have precognition that there may be a name change in the future. I would say that they're very well protected in terms of their domain name ownership and that regardless of what their intentionality was. And if I were them, I wouldn't be actively saying, hey, I bought this thinking the Redskins are going to change their name. (laughs) Right. Right. That could really come back in court. I would say I love Washington and all of these things made total sense to me. And one day I'm going to name my company one of these things. Yeah. Like, I don't know, like intentionality means something. So I, I, if I were them, I might be a little more careful about the way I'm communicating that, but I think it's pretty brilliant that they anticipated a name change one day. Yeah. But uh, yeah. my advice to them is to, uh, you know, yeah. maybe perhaps, uh, not talk about the fact that they're targeting the Washington Redskins. Right. That idea. Yeah. That's just my opinion, my humble opinion. I'll have
0: to go. About yeah. Two seconds. I'll have to go back so, and read the article. I think what happened was somebody discovered it maybe five or ten years ago and, and wrote up an article about, hey, this some guy owns all these names and it was uh, just kind of whatever. I, and and now it's, you know, now it's
1: happening. So that's different. And if I were that person that owned those names right now, I'd be really thinking about the fact that I have a uh, a, an eBay store that I'm trying to figure out which one of these Washington names I'm going to be naming. It. Yep.
0: Yep. I'm a good guy. I just, I just, I like that. I just love Washington. I just love it. I love Washington. <laughs> it's my favorite. It's, the it's best. my favorite. Um, well, listen, Jeremy, we'll, uh, we'll have to catch up down the road. Um, hopefully things improve in the world and maybe toy fair. will 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 get rolling and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll meet up and, Man, yeah. I can't wait to see what, what you guys come up with. Uh I, I know you guys probably have really cool stuff in the pipeline. And I, I made it a point not to go my, my buddy goes, Hey, try to ask these questions. And I looked at him, and I was, it's like, Are You guys gonna do two packs? What about this wrestler? What about that wrestler? <laughs> it's all coming. We know it's coming. Uh but yeah. I yeah, I like having a more it's- a broad conversation about collectibles and No,
1: I listen, I like it too, and I don't mind the specifics and yes, we're gonna end up doing some two packs, and yes, we're gonna do that wrestler and this wrestler. Okay. So you're so, I've answered the question. You
0: can tell that to Ryan specifically.
1: Ryan, uh, I swear to you, at some point in time, we're going to hit all of the stuff that you're looking for because perfect. if anything, we're prolific in terms of the way we develop at Jazzware. So oh,
0: cool. Cool. So Jeremy Padauer, very much appreciate it. Uh, loved having you on and, uh, good luck with everything. Good luck with, uh, continuing to, uh, to be, uh, I, I read today, a, a Hall of Famer, a Toy Fair Hall of Famer. I think it oh, was Toy, yeah. Toy Fair Magazine. God, I missed it. Yeah, it was I,
1: awesome. I loved that. I, that was one of the unexpected moments of my career. And uh, I just would. I'll, I'll, I'll end this like this. It's tax day today, right? No, they, they extended no. tax payments for three months. I never fought for the country. I never put on a military gear. But I feel like it's the most patriotic act outside of that that you can do to make sure you pay your taxes, so I always feel like a patriot when tax day is due and I owe money because I feel like I feel like I'm doing my part, even though I didn't do my part as a as a patriot uh, fighting for our country. But I but I all due respect to everybody out there that does that. And, uh, you know, there's there's Veterans Day, there's Memorial Day, there's all these days where you think about veterans. I think about them today there you because go. I Oh, I know those tax dollars go to the right place. And I, or at least I hope they do. And, uh, like I said before, on a separate note, keep a toe, keep a toe dipped firmly in your passions. Keep it in there. Cause, uh, at the end of the day, that's what keeps our heart beating, right? hundred percent. That, that's what it's all about.
0: Uh, I like this. This was inspirational. Uh, we'll, next time we'll we'll have you on. And we'll we'll talk about if you've got that, that Hulk Hogan card yet? Because I know it slipped through your hands this week. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> yeah, horrible horrible uh, outcome. Finishing second didn't feel very good, but you know what? Somebody wanted it really really badly. Right, right.
0: Well, listen, everybody. Jeremy Padoar, AEW Jazzwares. It's all happening. Keep an eye out. At Ringside Collectibles for those exclusives, and uh, hit Walmart. Let them know. Buy that stuff. That's the only way that these lines can be successful is we go out and support them. So uh, thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much. This is great.